welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. And tonight we are talking about Kingdom of the Blind. Oh my goodness, uh, an episode that has some Spana vibes, some Vandermeeren vibes, uh, quite a bit of Jenna and Aria. Also, fake pregnancies are fake, uh, mental illness may or may not be fake, and Jenna is officially revealed as no longer blind. And the men are completely terrible. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, if being blind meant that she didn't like pretending to be blind meant that she didn't have to deal with the men in Rosewood. I feel like I could see Jenna's point a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, when Garrett is the man in the episode who's getting praised as being like the most honest, you know that you know that things are in a rough place. Yeah, speaking of rough places, man, Spencer and her family are not in a great place. And oh, yes, of course, we have Emily's um, the the first cycle of Emily uh, gets credit for taking a test that she didn't actually complete. Yes. Yeah. The the whole um, Prezra, Ella, Emily catastrophe in this episode. Oh, my goodness. We have so much to talk about. Shall we just dive right in? I think we should. Okay. Okay. Um, so we get this this opening where Jenna is reading a book in Braille in the courtyard as the liars watch her and scarf and scoff. They don't scarf. They scoff. Um, Aria wants to know what Jenna is planning. Spencer very quickly deputizes Aria to find out, noting that Jenna trusts Aria or at least uh, wants Aria to think that she does. I find it interesting that Spencer has like picked up on that and that that is of note to her. Hannah offers to trade Mona for Jenna. Uh, Just then Jenna gets up. Hannah says that they should push a table in front of her to see what happens. Spencer says, you have all the subtlety of a hand grenade. And Hannah beams saying, thank you. Um, Also, look who's talking, Spencer. You are not exactly known for your subtle tactics. Uh, Paul makes Spencer. Her mom has talked about uh, Garrett's case. Spencer says that her mom is likely waiting until Melissa is home, which it's weird to me that Melissa's connection to Garrett isn't mentioned because that seems like that would be a significant sort of headliner of of this. Um, But just then we hear Vice Principal Hackett yelling at Lucas. Excuse me, Dark Lucas. Excuse me, the Joker. Shaven and looks to be unshowered and in a vaguely dirty shirt. Uh, Hackett is yelling about how this all goes on his permanent record. Uh, Lucas does his move of the episode, which is to just stomp away. Um, he sees Hannah in the hallway and runs into a classroom. Hannah, who is in a truly bizarre combination of colors, patterns, and seasons, follows behind Lucas into the classroom. He grouses about this piece of paper that he's received that apparently says his attitude is negatively impacting his social interactions and grades, which... Does not seem like a note that a vice principal would just like send home for a kid to give his parents. Um, Hannah. Oh, yeah. Also, it's a very mild letter to be having this reaction to. (laughs) Like, it's like not really even a letter that anything has necessarily happened yet. It's just 
yeah school school really just started like three episodes ago so yeah right. quite something quite something yes um hannah does her hannah thing and asks if he's okay uh he insists that he is before lighting the paper on fire <laughs> lucas has gone full joker y'all he is red pilled he is a pre-edgelord edgelord lighting <laughs> trash cans on fire and leaving hannah to deal with them the mystery music cranks up with this strange and sudden danger as our hero Caleb arrives with a water bottle just in time. Hannah insists that they have to get out of there. Uh, who wants to bet that Hannah and Caleb are going to codependently take responsibility for this latest iteration of their troubled son, Lucas? We get an ominous shot of the still smoking trash can. This is like a really weird cold open. <laughs> It is. Well, also, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, it starts with the liars, and then, uh, you know, like, everybody is spying on someone. Arya now is going to have the mission of spying on Jenna. Uh, Hannah is already spying on Mona, and now has to also spy on Dark Lucas. Um, there's just a lot that's happening. It's It solos on Hannah, and then it brings Caleb in. And also, uh, Caleb pouring the contents of his water bottle on the trash that is the second uh, prominent water bottle in the last two episodes. Jenna was filling her water bottle at the sink when she <laughs> saw the earring. So I, my question is, like, did Swell have some kind of promo deal with PLL at this time? It could be. It could be. It's just it's so funny how this is like the trash can moment plays as if like Hannah's going to like burn down the school on the cold open of this episode. Like they really cranked the mystery music up. Like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, like, I don't really know why he couldn't just crumple the letter up and throw it in the trash. Like the, the, you know, some men just like to watch the trash can burn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I almost wish that I had seen the new Joker movie so I could, like, throw out some of the lines as, uh, you know, as being as being from Lucas, because I was I was really getting some real Joaquin Phoenix vibes in this episode. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, Post credits, Caleb and Hannah are sitting at a table. Uh, Hannah's look, which you mentioned uh, previously uh, it includes a somewhat bizarre-looking red knit beanie, but it's so strange-looking that I feel like maybe it's fashion. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Hannah says, Lucas used to be so sweet. Caleb takes the side of toxic masculinity and says that's not a word any guy wants a girl to use to describe him. Hannah asks him to talk to Lucas and find out what's going on. Uh, Caleb also mentions here that he has moved out of Lucas's house, which makes me wonder, where does Caleb live during this part of the series? Does he live on his own? If so, you'd think Hannah would spend some time over there. But well, anyway, uh, he tries to leverage a one-time conversation that he will have with Lucas to extract a promise from Hannah to not go back to Radley to see Mona ever again. This is not reasonable. Hannah does not make the promise. And ends the conversation by calling Caleb sweet. Game, set, match. Hannah Marin. Oh, yeah. She she plays this really, really well. Um, Caleb has an interesting line here where he he talks about Mona being locked up and says something like, let's hope it stays that way or let's make sure it stays that way. Do you think that there's a part of Caleb that is concerned that Hannah is trying to either break Mona out of Radley or appeal to some, like, authority figure that would permit Mona to get out of Radley? No, I don't think he's afraid of that, but I think that he is 
Uh, he doesn't like the Mona parts of Hannah's character. Um, mm-hmm. And in this episode, we're going to see sort of Hannah's Mona make a comeback. And I think that I think he's maybe afraid of Mona trying to control Hannah or trying to manipulate Hannah. Uh, but mostly, I, I mean, mostly I think he has an irrational jealousy. Yeah, and it's really going to crank up in this episode. Oof. Um, back at school, Jenna is laying it on thick for Miss Arya. Uh, she kind of she kind of purrs while caressing Arya's arm. What made you change your mind about playing with me? Um, Arya make or Jenna makes like a bunch of like eye related cracks in this episode. And one of the things she says here is um, they talk about Arya says that she had stage fright, and Jenna says you, sometimes you just have to look it in the eye, which well played, Jenna. Um, and then, so Arya, you know, has agreed to come over, that they will practice, that they will do this, this duet together. And Jenna, once again, purrs, will practice in a way that suggests that her version of practicing is quite similar to Alison de Laurentiis. Arya stares off after Jenna, puzzled and maybe a little turned on. I ship it. Oh, I ship it hard in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, Jenna is, like, into it. I had totally forgotten about this. Yeah, this is a great, great period of uh, Jenna and Arya and whatever is going on with those two. Uh, also, I we see a couple of different times of, uh, you know, kind of subtextual shippy characters who are doing this walking arm-in-arm thing down yeah. the hallway. Did you ever in high school walk arm in arm with any of your friends? I am like 100% sure I did not. I, um, I think I might have. I think I might have. Maybe? I think I might. I, I think I might have. Like, and totally platonically. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so from your from your perspective of maybe having walked arm in arms with someone before, uh, do you feel like this is a platonic arm in arm that Jenna and Arya are doing here? Oh, not at all. I mean, <laughs> Jenna is Jenna is like like if Jenna was not pretending to be blind, she would be undressing Arya with her eyes here. Like, <laughs> and. What's interesting is I actually feel like I don't feel like this is just Jenna flirting with Arya. I feel like Jenna is kind of doing this to throw Arya off her game a little bit and like freak her out even more. Um, But what I find really interesting and we'll get into it as we go on. But I feel like there's a lot of foreshadowing of Shauna in this episode. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, Okay, at the lunch table, the liars are speculating that Jenna might be getting careless now that Garrett is in jail. They give Arya lots of suggestions of what to look for, and then Emily says the whole thing could be a trap. And Arya suggests, that's okay, she's also good at running. Uh, Hannah laughs and asks if they remember when Arya knocked over the beehive. Everyone cracks up, and then Spencer points out it was Hannah who did it. And Hannah's response is, well, it's funnier if it's her. Animals have been attacking the liars since before the series started at this point. Anyway, Emily's test score is posted, and she immediately suspects someone has altered her grade because no way did she get a 94. Yeah, yeah, there's 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 some really fun dialogue here. Hannah says, you know what, Em, don't go all Spencer on your grades. And Spencer is like, hey, uh, there's a lot of good Spanish dialogue in this episode. Um, 
Yeah, Emily thinks that it's a trap. She doesn't want to be caught cheating. Aria uses the the P word, paranoid. Um, also, I just had the note, Ashley Benson is wearing a lot of jewelry in this scene. And I feel like she's really enjoying kind of gesturing with it. Like she's doing a lot of like handwork in this scene. And, and it's, it's kind of funny. Um, oh, man. In the chemistry lab, Lucas is doing something in there by himself that involves vials and a microscope. When Caleb walks in, um, I had the note of toxic masculinity here for Caleb when his opening line is, dude, you tried to set my to set fire to my girlfriend. Um, way to way to really open up an empathetic conversation here, Caleb. Uh, Lucas has no apologies to offer. He if it doesn't care about trivial bureaucracy. Uh, Lucas asks if there's something that or Caleb asks if there's something that Lucas wants to talk about, uh, but stops short of saying that he's worried about Lucas instead putting that on Hannah. Lucas grumbles about Hannah worrying after him like a pet and Caleb brings up Mona. Um, he, he brings it up in a weird way. He says, Hannah told me all about Mona being a, I thought that Mona being a was like public knowledge and him bringing it up like this makes me think that it was a secret and not, his secret to tell Lucas if he thinks it's a secret. Like, I mean, I really think that it is public knowledge. I mean, unknown people were texting like, show us your boobs. A. So it seems like people know. Yeah. I I was confused by that line. Um, But yeah, it, whatever. It was weird line. Um, Lucas makes some allusions about the tip of the iceberg and, you know, today's headlines. It's not in the past. It's today's headlines and not wanting to be too close when uh, when things get overturned. Um, he is talking like somebody who should be on some kind of watch list here. Uh, <laughs> Caleb asks if that's a threat and Lucas says it is an observation. Yeah, um, for all that Caleb was like begrudgingly going to do this if Hannah promised to never ever go back to Radley again, He sure is not making a good faith effort with Lucas. Uh, He's really just kind of marching in and being a jerk and hoping that being a jerk in this particular way is maybe going to cause Lucas to open up, which, of course, it does not. Yeah, the whole Lucas-Caleb relationship is confusing at best. I mean, at at times they seem really chummy and at times they seem... um, really at odds with each other and obviously there's like the sort of romantic rivalry element of it but um yeah i just uh, i don't know it's right one could one could um interpret that caleb sort of puts a lot of his mona feelings on lucas because he can't outright be like mona's in love with hannah or that their own bromance has gone south um, you know, you sure. just, your wildly swinging emotions of Caleb and his ex-boyfriend or the former member of their throuple who, uh, you know, has now spun off on his own. I'm just remembering that scene when, <laughs> when, when, when we talked about Hannah and Caleb, like, having sex in the Marin kitchen and Lucas standing there, like, watching with his arms folded or whatever it was. Like, I'm not going to walk away. I'm just going to angrily watch you have sex behind these curtains. Yeah, they, they, they just never got past that, you know, that's <laughs> also, despite being such a bad student uh, that he's having a letter sent home to his parents, Dark Lucas is now alone in a science classroom doing something with a microscope. So like, I don't know, I don't know, the characterization is not very consistent here at all. Um, ugh. Agreed. Uh, 
Emily rushes up to Ella and uh, confesses that there must be something wrong with her grade. She didn't complete the test. How could she have gotten a 94? Uh, I know they think this is a, this is an A intervention, but man, let it work for you for once, Emily. Uh, Ella does her patented eyebrow signaling again and reassures Emily that everything is okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like Ella's like raising her eyebrows and winking and tugging on both earlobes, and Emily is not getting it, and Ella is just like, can't you be cool, Emily? Damn. Um, Yeah, and you know, this is so great. Now Ella is making children other than her own be complicit in her lives. It is an unbreakable pattern for the Montgomery's man. Oh my god, oh my god. So a clearly not pregnant anymore Melissa Hastings is sweeping ashes from the fireplace when Spencer arrives home. Spencer asks about Washington and how Melissa is doing. Melissa is her typical withholding self, offering one-word answers to each of Spencer's questions. Uh, Veronica arrives with the announcement that she'll be defending Garrett. Uh, She says that she knows what it's like to have a child accused of something they didn't do. Spencer is immediately argumentative, bringing up the evidence and suggesting that Garrett use another attorney. She's especially upset when she learns that Veronica is taking the case pro bono. Melissa, curiously, is very quiet, uh, noting that Veronica taking on this case is very generous. Uh, Veronica says that she found Garrett's story to be credible, but Spencer wants to know what Veronica is up to. She says, he killed my best friend. He killed the girl that Emily was in love with. Note that her voice gets extra throaty and raspy when she talks about the queer love lost. Veronica corrects her saying he's accused of these things. Spencer wants Melissa to say something, but Melissa says that any interest she had in any of this ended three months ago. Ooh, um, man, you know, this scene, Melissa always is so good at acting like maybe she's suspicious. Maybe she's just a bitch. You just don't know. Um, but this is also like the golden era of PLL Mr. X. And the fact that the scene opens with Melissa sweeping ashes from the fireplace. Like I was always like, is she cleaning up the ashes from when Spencer burned Emily's clothes? Is she, mm. Did she just burn something in there? Don't the Hastings have a maid? What's going on with the ashes in the fireplace? It's like, it's totally meaningless. That never matters again, even a little bit. Right, right. That. Totally, totally does it. I also feel like there's this weird thing for like, like that's been going on all season, but like, and then is in sort of like the first half of this episode where it was like they didn't want to say the word miscarriage. And so they keep like, it's like Ella like pulling her earlobes and raising her eyebrows. Like they keep doing that in reference to the fact that Melissa had a miscarriage, but they're, they finally do say it, like they spell it out, but it's just, I'm like, why? I don't know. It feels like they're sort of like dancing around it in this weird way. I don't know if you felt that way. Yes. No, I agree. The whole thing about Melissa and the fake pregnancy is much weirder than I remembered. Um, but yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. Ooh. Yep. Um, all right. At Emily's house, she's telling Aria about how she thinks Ella changed her grade. Emily thinks it was because she feels sorry for her. Uh, but Aria says, no, no, her mom is compensating that her protective instincts have gone into overdrive since the divorce. Emily is still worried as this is a secret and A attracts secrets like a magnet. Emily says they've all been through too much to crawl under someone's thumb. And now we see her grief turn into anger. She's more mad than scared. Aria is a little turned on. Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm, 
spoiler alert, I'm writing an Aria Emily fic right now. And this scene was like perfect, perfect catnip. Um, it's, it's funny too. Ella's protective instincts have been in overdrive since the divorce. Ha, huh, where does a fix fit in all that? It's like, I can't protect my own daughter from this predator. So I'm going to protect Emily Fields from having to retake this test again. Yes, exactly. Yes, this test comes to symbolize like everything and nothing. Oh, my, my goodness. God. Well, you know, this. The, I mean, it's a very dumb plot point. Like this, this whole plot is not my favorite. And it's especially not my favorite because it comes back in later seasons. But um, like there are a lot of choices that Ella had besides just filling in the rest of the test for Emily. You could give Emily the grade that she deserves, but allow her to retake the test. You could say, you're getting an incomplete on this. I'm going to give you more time later. Like, there are so many choices that she had other than just just filling in the test for her. She could have failed her, but then allowed her to do extra credit. Like, there are so many options that were on the table, and Ella took none of them. She could have, like, consulted the school guidance counselor, who probably doesn't exist, but, like, <laughs> could exist. And then, so, like, let's... Like, Emily's going through a lot. Can we work with her here? Or something. I mean, yeah. There's a, there are a lot of different choices. And Prezra being the hero of the piece is really not my fave. Um, back at the Hastings house, this is one of those episodes where half of the scenes start with Spender, Spencer descending the staircase. Uh, this is one of them. I love this little moment where she sees that Melissa is pouring herself a glass of wine. And Melissa is like, just to clarify, when you tell mom about this, this is my second class, not including lunch. I love when Melissa's just like openly bitchy like that. Um, then, what, were you going to say something? No, I was going to say, uh, my note on this was Spencer finds Melissa drinking a glass of wine, i.e. a glimpse of her own future at Melissa's age. <laughs> yes, yeah, this is so season seven Spencer here. Um Yes, Spencer wants to know how Melissa feels about their mom defending Garrett. Um, Melissa says that she is indifferent, but Spencer doesn't buy it. She finally brings up the fact that Melissa and Garrett got awfully tight right before his arrest. Melissa kind of comically accuses Spencer of having a lurid imagination. You're not wrong there, Melissa. Um, Spencer brings up the NAT videos, but Melissa is here to do what she does best. She cuts Spencer off. Throws, starts bringing up her own loss and heartache to deflect any actual questions or lines of interrogation. She says, stop trying to be the smartest person in the room. Some people have lost everything. Um, at this, Spencer grows quiet and a bit chagrined, saying that she asked to come see Melissa after the miscarriage, which, again, they weirdly, I think, don't use that word in the scene. Um, but Melissa didn't want to see anyone but their mom. Spencer apologizes, but Melissa says that she hopes Garrett gets off, even if he's guilty, even if he killed two girls, because he is the only man who has ever told her the truth. Yeah, that is super weird. But the really interesting thing in this episode is we listen to everybody debate about whether or not Veronica should be representing Garrett. Uh, in the fullness of time, we know that Garrett actually is innocent. So yeah. Veronica is on the side of the angels here. He does deserve a strong defense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's quite a frame up job. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the snow globe solarium, Jenna and Aria are making beautiful music together. Jenna is facing away from Aria out the window with a not wildly necessary, since she's supposed to be blind, mirror positioned in front of her. 
<laughs> this allows her to watch Arya and Arya to watch her, but in a subtle way. Um, Arya is playing the keyboards while spying, and let us say that multitasking is not Miss Montgomery's <laughs> strong suit. She sees a piece of paper conveniently in sight within Jenna's open flute case that has what appears to ha- be a clue written on it. Arya leans in so hard to her spiral that she slows her tempo, and Jenna asks if she's putting her to sleep in her bedroom. I'm not saying that Jenna wants to sleep with Arya, but wait, no, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Arya claims to be rusty and Jenna does not suggest they take it again from the top she instead suggests they take a break knowing that Arya has difficulty concentrating on anything for longer than five seconds Uh, Jenna asks about how Emily is doing Uh, she sounds strong but it's hard to tell when you can't see her face Uh, Arya gets a little bit of steel in her answer Emily is fine, strong, etc Uh, Jenna says, the heart and mind can only take so much. Case in point, poor little Mona. Arya is too busy getting mad at this characterization to realize that Jenna just compared Mona and Hannah to Emily and Maya. But I sure noticed. Anyway, Arya says, not everything worked out so tidily. Someone did open Allie's grave after all. Jenna is just agog. No one thinks you had anything to do with that, do they? Then she goes off to get cookies that she baked for them. Uh, I love this scene a lot, and I do think it would be fun, uh, you know, a fun read of this to have Arya be A and Jenna to be taking orders from her because Jenna's actions really seem to be indicating a private relationship very different from the one that the viewers are aware of. Uh, Jenna leaves the room for the cookies and Arya picks up the paper to see that it says H. Cobb, 415 Wednesday, earplugs. It's so funny to me that Jenna would have needed to like remind herself about the earplugs um, or whoever wrote this note. Um, yeah, this is such an interesting scene. It's, you know, when, when Jenna is talking about poor Emily, it's so weird how in just a few short seasons, Jenna will be in exactly the same situation as Emily with Aria responsible. She will have a dead girlfriend. Um, I also feel like Jenna's physicality seems really different here than in a lot of the scenes. She seems way less creepy and imposing and much more um, like a regular girl. And uh, as the episode goes on, I, I feel that more and more. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, they're also just, there's a lot of vibes here. Like when, when Jenna's like, we can take a break. I have expected her to be like, like, maybe we could do some other things with our fingers and mouths for a little bit. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, the vibe. there's the definite vibe. Um, over in Spencer's room, the liars are debriefing the note and what it might mean. I love the detail of Hannah with the pillow on her lap. Hannah says, I wish people would be more specific with their clues. And Spencer says, I'll put it in the suggestion box. These two. I want the buddy comedy detective show with these two. That's like, I don't know if it's a, if it's castle. I don't know if it's moonlighting. I just know that they make out at the end. Um, Spencer wants to know where Jenna is going tomorrow. Aria brings up Jenna's question about Emily and Spencer translates. Jenna wants to know if Emily remembers being in the car with her. Um, 
Spencer says that they will put it all together and figure out what happened to Emily. Arya gets a call from her mom, uh, which prompts the other liars to ask about Veronica defending Garrett. Um, Melissa is the reason for this, Spencer thinks. Hannah says that she had a nasty thought about Melissa and Garrett, which is Spencer's love language. Spencer has never been more turned on by Hannah than Hannah, you know, coming up with elaborate sex-related clues about her sister. Uh, Hannah thinks that Garrett might be the father of Melissa's baby. The liars seem weirdly shocked by this possibility as though like I know that the audience saw Melissa and Garrett make out last season. Did the liars see them make out last season? Did they? Did did we see them make out? I thought that we did. I thought that there's that scene when Melissa like gives Garrett a beer and they kiss and the liars are like upstairs. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. Okay, there is. I think I think it's, like, the episode where Garrett gets arrested. Yeah, I think you're right. But I thought that the liars saw that. Like, they seem shocked by this idea. Um, this is, like, I feel like we are, we are, we're entering that time period of the show where it's, like, what we're seeing on screen and what we're being told about what we're seeing on screen is starting to kind of not totally match up, which is a theme that will continue for the rest of the series. Um, but anyway... Uh, Hannah mentions the medical record comment from Garrett and how maybe that has to do with uh, the paternity of the baby. We learn when Arya comes back in that Ella has to speak with the vice principal. Yeah, there are a lot of plot threads that are uh, that are going on um, in this in this scene uh, that are kind of trying to tie it together. One thing I want to keep tabs on is that when they ask Spencer about her mom taking the case, Spencer says she's sure that Melissa made her do it, uh, which in a previous scene, that was Sp- Spencer's like suspicion, but now she's kind of passing it off as a fact. And mm-hmm. I think that this is something that we see more and more as the show goes on, that the liars don't wait for any kind of confirmation. They just go with their working theory and assume that it is, they assume that they are correct pretty much all the time, uh, even though they're often very far, uh, far from correct. But the other thing about this is the whole, um, you know, the idea that Garrett is leveraging the fact that he was maybe the father of Melissa's baby uh, to get Veronica to take the case. Well, so what? Like, who... Who is he going to tell at this point? Is he going to go around like there is no baby for him to claim paternity of. So he would just be like hopping around town announcing that he got Melissa Hastings pregnant and then she miscarried. I mean, (laughs) what? I I don't really understand why that seems like a threat. Also, the way that Spencer kind of turns up her nose, because Emily's like, well, if Garrett got her pregnant, why didn't she marry him? And, uh, you know, because that's Pam Fields' worldview. Uh, but then, <laughs> right. but then Spencer's like, "Well, they weren't crazy about Ian, but he had it over a civil servant." Ooh. And I was like, "I mean, yeah, a field hockey coach, pedophile, and possible murderer, still better than a civil servant." Uh, and then after I was like, oh, wait, the civil servant is also like a pedophile and a possible murderer. So, oh, OK, nebulous classism carries the day. They're Hastings. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's that's a that's a definitely weird comment. Um, and oh, Hastings, you're just you're so much you're so much yourself. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. This, it's, there's there's a lot of ground that they're trying to cover in this scene. <laughs> oh, uh, Hannah arrives at Ravley wearing a gorgeous soft peach blazer to find Mona in the middle of a group of other patients showing them a fashion magazine. This is Hannah's Mona, and she's back. Oh, and they, like, smile at each other through the glass, and it's beautiful. It's such a thing of beauty. Do you, um, can I, can I take, uh, the castle of the man baby that's oh. coming up, and then you can, you can take, since that was kind of, okay. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so in the castle of the man baby, Prezra laments how quickly a man can now be rejected online. I mean, for jobs, I guess, or publication, but probably also for dates to junior prom in his case. (laughs) I'm going to skip over any smooching and go to the part where Aria tells him she suspects her mom helped Emily and the vice principal wants to meet with her about it, which in the previous scene, Aria acted like she didn't know what that meeting was about. So I guess that's a fact now, too, because it's what Emily had been worried about. Um, President doesn't have a lot to say. But he watches her with his unkempt stubble as Arya worries about her mom getting fired. Yeah, I, I, at first I didn't realize that, like, her plan was to tell him about Ella. Like, I thought that she was just going to try to keep it all hypothetical. And I was thinking, like, Arya, like, obviously it's Emily that you're talking about because (laughs) you just made this whole to-do the last episode about Ezra helping Emily. And it's not... It doesn't take too many leaps to guess that you're talking about Ella because what other teacher would you care about? <laughs> but then she just like came out and told him everything. And I was like, oh, OK, like <laughs> no, no secrets from from Prezra Fitz, I suppose. Oh, at Radley, Hannah has chosen her shortest skirt to visit her girlfriend, Mona. Mona is holding Hannah's arm and chattering animatedly about drinking water. She's so excited to have Hannah here. They change what Mona is taking and they won't let her have gum, which she doesn't think is fair. Um, Mona is like a different Mona than we've seen. She's like very, um, you know, chattery and a bit twitchy and like clearly on on some medication or putting on one hell of an act or maybe a little bit of both. We learn that Mona's parents have been visiting. They sit and look at her like they don't know who she is. Awkward. Uh, Even when she was quiet, though, Mona knew Hannah was here. Mona says that she has had to forgive herself for a lot of their ups and downs. And then she grasps Hannah's hands and calls her Hannah Banana, asking about how Hannah is doing. When I when I was watching the scene, I like did I like legit gasped at this moment. I had totally forgotten about it. And I did like a soap opera like <gasps> it 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 was it was it was a bit much even for me. Um but uh, it's it's interesting, like, considering kind of how much Mona may or may not be playing Hannah here. Um, Hannah doesn't really have time for this. She wants to talk about A and how Mona knows what she knows. Mona says that you have to be so careful these days. You can't trust anybody, not even family, uh, which I think is probably a Melissa reference. She says that Hannah will always have her. She's not forgetting any of them. And then with a big smile on her face, she says... Did they ever find what's left of Allison? Oof. Yeah, so she knows about the grave being broken open, too. Oh, man. There are... This is so great because uh, the Mona face is so different from the Mona face that Hannah's been getting. But this is like a moment when Hannah is really having to 
reckon with the A element of Mona as well, like where they're they're existing in the same place at the same time in the same conversation. Yeah, it's so it, it, it really is. It's like it's like Mona is is putting on this like Hannah best friend drag, but it's like she's she's like changed her wig or something. Like it's just it's just off enough. There's enough of A in it that Hannah is deeply uncomfortable here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the scene continues. And at first I was like, oh, well, if the scene is continuing after Hannah closes that door, it's going to be because Dr. McSketchy is, uh, you know, yeah. loitering around. Uh, but no, uh, as, as Hannah is leaving, who does she see enter the area for group visitation? Which is like, also, that's not an area of Bradley I feel like she's ever been to before. She's always been visiting Mona in Mona's, like, private, locked-up quarters. Um, But who is entering the area for group visitation but Dark Lucas? (laughs) Looking even more unshowered than ever before. Yeah, I don't know what the protocol is for the Radley visitors list, but wow, they are letting just literally anybody in right now. (laughs) They really are. It's just, like, open season. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Let's see. Okay. Shall shall I take us to the brew? Yeah. Okay. So over at the brew, Ella is reading a book when Prezra approaches. Uh, He says, this is where I see some of the students that I'm sleeping with. I mean that I started tutoring. Um, He tries to play it cool as he brings up Emily. Uh, Ella sort of ruefully notes, Emily talks to Arya and Arya talks to you. And then this condescending prick has to go, that's our brave new world. He asks about Hackett and tries to insert himself into this situation that has absolutely nothing to do with him. We learn that the office has received a note from a student regarding a concern of Ella showing favoritism in her grading practices. Uh, Prezra calls her human and asks how she's going to handle it. I just hate so much how he is positioned as having the moral high ground here and how Emily just becomes this pawn in bringing Ella and Prezra closer together. Ella says that she'll tell the truth or she could just blame Prezra. Do it, Ella. Um, <laughs> and she says that she thought that she had perspective um, and that certain things in her life were feeling chaotic, but that at least she felt okay about work. Prezra replies, it's not easy to keep things separate. And Ella agrees with him. And I'm honestly surprised that this scene doesn't end with Prezra giving Ella's tips on how to bang a student. I'm sure that that's what happened after the camera pans away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I just, like, we had the whole don't ask, don't tell thing with Prezra last episode. And now we have this. And it's like, oh, my God. It's just, it's like the characters are being gaslit as we are being gaslit. That's a really good way to describe it. Yes, that is exactly what is happening. He just drops in, mansplains teaching to her, and then is out and and like ingratiates himself further to her in this i mean mm-hmm. yeah well remember my theory that this whole this whole particular plot of ella and the anonymous note and someone having seen her alter the test could be ezra and his cameras mm-hmm. that are still all over that classroom and or the school because i i just think this is a little bit this is a little bit small potatoes for a uh, and I think that the way that uh, Prezra spins this to make himself come out to hero 
and and ingratiate himself, as you said, to Ella. Uh, I actually think that there's a completely valid read of this where Prezra is behind this whole test debacle. Could be. I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever get a canon explanation for like the student or any of that. No. We, we all just, no. I mean, everybody just sort of assumes that it's A because it seems like an A kind of move. Although, I mean, it, again, it's like A or whoever did this, like whoever ratted Ella out was right to do that. I mean, <laughs> Ella, Ella shouldn't have done that. Yes, yeah. yes, that's, <laughs> that's accurate. Yeah, maybe it was Aria. Maybe Aria was like, I want to teach my mom a lesson. <laughs> Maybe it was Hannah. She's like jealous that that yeah. Emily got the help on the test instead of her. Oh, well. Outside of Radley, we have Mad Dad Caleb. And this has never been a good look for him. It really hasn't. And it's not here. He yells at Hannah. And I would just suggest as an opener that showing up outside a place where your significant other didn't tell you she'd be in order to intercept her is not a good thing to do when said partner was recently stalked. Um, But, you know, Caleb pays that no mind. He is super shitty about her visiting Mona and uh, uses some really inappropriate language uh, about it, which Hannah tells him to knock right off. Uh, He makes Hannah defend her choices and acts like she promised him, which she did not. And he certainly didn't follow through with his part of his suggested bargain uh, in any kind of good faith either. Uh, He says that, uh, or actually, she says that the Mona that she saw in there tonight was her friend, the one who always had her back and not the Mona who hit her with a car. This is just handing Caleb more ammunition. Uh, He's not making any real effort to meet her in a place of understanding or compassion at all. Uh, She gives him another it's complicated and pulls out her tangled spaghetti metaphor. Um, Does Hannah treat Mona like all of her faces are separate and distinct people? Or does Hannah understand that all of these realms exist within Mona? What do you think? I think that Hannah right now is in the process where she's seeing them as separate people, but I think um, eventually she sort of starts to integrate them. I think that right now she's still in this place where she's like, it's like she's, she's almost treating it like she's meeting the different personalities inside of Mona, which is understandable. She didn't know that those personalities or or those sides of Mona existed. Um, But I, I think that I think that she's just at the beginning part where she's able to see like, okay, this is all the same person. There may be a lot of masks, but it's still the same person underneath all of it. Um, I just, yeah, I, I just feel like Hannah would make such a great therapist. I mean, the way that she, her, her, her compassion is incredible. You know, you know, how, you know, I think that that should be Hannah's future. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> Caleb's tirade Uh, ends only when Lucas comes out and Lucas uh, as dark Lucas is getting to be uh, further shitty to both of them. He claims to have been visiting Mona uh, to see if Mona was faking or not uh, because of course Lucas is definitely going to be able uh, to make that determination in a few minutes. Whereas like trained psychiatrists and clinicians uh, certainly, you know, cannot be left to, to their judgment on this. Uh, anyway, he calls Hannah stupid, which Caleb was basically doing five seconds ago, 
But now, Caleb unites in the face of their dark Lucas foe. I would not be surprised if Caleb, like, slipped Lucas a 20 to show up here just so he could, like, reunite, you know, reunite the two of them. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the scene ends with Caleb draping a possessive arm over Hannah's shoulder. Uh, yes, I, I feel like uh, I feel like the Radley right now is like the nexus of all Caleb's fears about ways that he could lose Hannah. Like there's this handsome British doctor who's talking to her about ambiguous loss. There's Mona in there who's a better kisser than he is. Now there's dark unshaven Lucas, you know, storming. Uh, storming out of the building and being a bad boy who sets fires and does not have a positive attitude, according to the vice principal. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's just a lot going on for Caleb right now. But boy, is he acting like a jerk. He totally is. Um, so this next little sequence, I don't know how we want to talk about this because we're cutting between a few things. Do you want um, I yeah, I, the Hannah Aria stuff? You could cover the Spencer stuff or what? Yeah, I think that's fine. Okay. Um, so Hannah and Arya are on a stakeout outside of Jenna's house. Arya's earrings are crazy. They're like, like really big and spiky and look like they weigh about five pounds. They're trying to determine what Jenna might be up to. Um, Hannah is getting filled in on the Ella Ezra of it all. She says that she wishes that she had a teacher like that. The whether she means one that would sleep with her or one that would change her grade is somewhat up for debate. Arya clarifies that this is all a bad thing. Um, Hannah makes a comment about poor M and Aria responds with something like, I think poor M is getting a little tired of being called poor M, which is a really, you know, a good comment from Aria. Um, Hannah, we learn, wishes that she had asked Lucas directly about the masquerade. Um, Aria asks, you know, would Hannah have done that with Luke, with Caleb right there? And uh, Hannah says, I don't, I couldn't make things worse with Caleb if I tried. She thinks that Caleb is getting to the point when he is scared to ask her anything. Um, They see a cab pick up Jenna and decide to follow it. Um, And I will pause there while you talk about the Spencer stuff. So uh, at first I was like, why is Spencer not on this spying on Jenna mission? That seems like something uh, she would totally be into, but Oh, It's because she's on the phone pretending to be Melissa and calling the hospital where she was treated to request a copy of her patient records. Um, And the way that they're cutting in between these scenes, like Spencer's part of it is a little bit belabored uh, because first she's shocked to learn that there's no record of Melissa being in the hospital that she allegedly was at the weekend of her miscarriage. Uh, She asked them to look under Melissa Thomas under the same social security number. Uh, Spencer then finds out, no, no record of Melissa under any name at that hospital, and that if Melissa was indeed at the Hanover Resort, it would have been this hospital and no other because the next closest ER is three towns over. Uh, So they're just kind of going back and forth. Spencer then calls the resort uh, Melissa was staying at and learns that Melissa did not check out on June 10th. She stayed until the 13th and that Veronica herself checked in on the 10th and stayed three days with her, having spa treatments and going to restaurants, which people can do after losing a baby. I mean, I know Melissa is supposed to have been nearly full term, but still, Spencer, nonetheless, just looks like this is another one 
of those Hastings family secrets that she's just stumbled upon. Yes. I do love, though, anytime Melissa or Spencer has to impersonate a uh, Hastings family member on the phone. It's always a good time. Well, at least because it's a Hastings family member, she was not doing an unneeded (laughs) accent. Oh, we know how she loves those. A a not wildly necessary accent. She just sounded a bit more clipped than usual. Yes, a bit like you could tell that her neck was like really, really stiff. So poor Emily Fields. She is having to deal with a lot of terrible adults this episode. Uh, She arrives in Ella's classroom and Emily, she says that she will talk to the vice principal with her. She is such an honorable one. Um, Ella can't say that she would have done this for any other student. Emily says that Ella doesn't know what she's done. Um, they're sort of mid, you know, conversation about all of this. When Hackett and Prezra walk down the hallway, the good old boys club is here to save the day. Prezra made up this elaborate lie about strong arming Ella into grading Emily's test in front of them. In front of him, it's a completely bogus story, but Hackett buys it because Prezra is a white man and therefore trustworthy, and it's all been worked out. No need to get your panties in a bunch, ladies. Emily and Ella eye each other uneasily. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Prezra inserting himself in this situation is like, it, it like, it saves this moment for like Ella and Emily not being held accountable, but boy, it is bad in every single way that it could be bad. Uh, Jenna, meanwhile, gets dropped off in front of a medical building and Hannah is annoyed that their stakeout is for nothing until the blue muscle car pulls out in front of them and Jenna, no sunglasses on, is driving. They pull out in hot pursuit and Aria calls in Spencer and Emily to alert them. Mm. In the Rosewood High lunchroom, Prezra is fiddling around with the vending machine. Ella comes over and sort of beautifully hits the machine and his uh, drink falls. She wants to know when he became friends with Hackett. He says that he know that knows that Hackett hates conflict and decision making. So now we've both lied for Emily, Ella says. Prezra insists that this has nothing to do with Aria. He's a teacher and they used to be friends, but now they're complicit in something together. So Ella has to let him keep sleeping with her teenage daughter. Of all the gross Prezra scenes in this episode, this one is really the grossest for me because he refers to Hackett, as you mentioned, uh, that he is conflict averse. He hates making decisions. Uh, And you know how Prezra knows that? Because he took advantage of those particular qualities in order to be able to date a student while he was still her teacher. Later, he's going to have that meeting with Hackett where Hackett like kind of dances around that subject or actually maybe even like, I mean, he doesn't name Aria, but he definitely says like that you were involved with someone who's a student here when he's hiring Prezra back. So it's like it was known by other people at the school and no one took action. And that's, Prezra is just showing that that's who he is. He's this kind of manipulator and this is how he operates. And he is doing it to Ella right now. Right, because you know who else hates conflict and decision making? <laughs> Ella Montgomery. <laughs> so he's basically saying, Ella, you know how I manipulated that guy? Hey, I've been manipulating you <laughs> that same way. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, next we get this Avengers Assemble power shot of the liars on the street approaching Jenna's car. Spencer in a queer look alert vest and short shorts combo. Uh, it turns out that H. Cobb is a gun store slash shooting range. Yikes. While they're standing around with their arms folded, uh, the others ask about Spencer. Oh, I'm sorry. I just have to note, so Spencer Spencer makes a comment about, like, why would Jenna need to be at a gun range? And it's like, careful there, Spence. One day, Jenna's going to shoot you with a gun. Yes, yes, she sure is. Um, also, the fact that she was at a gun range, the liars are pretty blasé about confronting her afterwards. Yeah. Um, but, you know, <laughs> priorities. Uh, the, the other liars choose this moment to ask Spencer uh, about the medical records that she was trying to get. Spencer admits that the hospital had no records and that she doesn't think Melissa lost her baby in June, uh, which this is such a huge violation of Melissa's privacy. Like nothing that the liars are interested in happened on June 10th or 13th. If Melissa was having a mental health issue in light of her husband's suicide and the loss of her pregnancy, keeping it from Spencer because Spencer is automatically going to tell the other liable liars is a reasonable move. Like, Melissa is entitled to handle, like, you know, I, I don't think that it's ever suggested that Melissa was never pregnant. So she did, like, she did lose the baby. It's really just a matter of the timing on this. And it's one of those things where they act like... Um, Faking blind is worse than the liars having blinded Jenna to begin with. Like, they act like uh, Melissa, you know, grieving by pretending to still be pregnant is, like, something that Melissa did on purpose just to mess with them, uh, which I think is is pretty far from the case. But anyway, Spencer, um, you know, Spencer has immediately kind of jumped to, to that conclusion. Uh, and then Jenna emerges from the gun store and gets into the car, Hannah goes rogue and tells Spencer she's sick of lying to everyone and everyone lying to them. No moss, she declares. <laughs> she stands in front of the car, making Jenna slam on the brakes to miss her and tells Jenna she's a sight for sore eyes. Oh, this is one of my favorite Hannah moments. The way her little smirk, all of it. Like, I feel like this is really Hannah, like, coming into her power she's like she's naming the thing right we're lying to everybody everybody's lying to us this will not stand this will not work for me she's felt so powerless this whole episode between caleb and lucas and mona she just wants somebody to listen to her she just wants uh she just wants somebody to tell her the truth and here she is she is being bold i love this moment um yeah i i just in response to what you said about melissa though i completely agree i think it's 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 weird how this information is not relevant really at all. I mean, it just furthers to make like, oh, Melissa's like lying about something else. Like Melissa's so suspicious. But um, yeah, it it's like, uh, I mean, you know, you see the way that the liars are reacting to this. And it's like, well, of course, Melissa faked her pregnancy. She didn't want to deal with all of you like poking around in her grief. And it, it it's. It makes it, it actually like I can it, I can like logic my way through the idea of somebody who has experienced a lot of loss not wanting to to sort of uh, publicly experience another loss and so covering that up or even perhaps being in a state of self delusion about 
um, the fact that you have one more thing that you can hang a little bit of hope on to. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The liars have such weird reactions to everything. It's the classic, you know, it's the classic Jenna thing where it's like everything even vaguely related to Melissa must be pure evil. Yes, yes, that's exactly what they're doing. And I do agree that uh, this is one of Hannah's best moments. This is like the Gryffindor Hannah, the Hannah who is brave enough to like look directly at whatever it is. Uh, this is the Hannah who is later going to hit Holbrook with the tire iron. Uh, this is, you know, th- this is Hannah at the height of her powers. Completely, completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is also like the Hannah that marched up to Mona and was like, why did you turn me into Allison? Like, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, this is Hannah as the hand grenade. This is like, it's Chekhov's hand grenade of yes. Hannah. Yes. Um, and it's also like, it's Hannah doing what needs to be done. Like the other liars are all with their like schemes and whispers. And they're also like 20 feet away from Jenna, by the way, during this whole thing. And, and like all lined up in their very colorful, very silly, inappropriate outfits. And it's like, you know, sometimes... Hannah knows what Hannah means and Hannah's going to cut through the bullshit and do what needs to be done. Yeah. I I wish I could write Hannah Marin a thank you note for making this choice and not having us go through like any more episodes with the like, Jenna doesn't know that the liars know that Jenna, you know, like I'm just really glad that that particular part is concluded. It's turning into that whole friends thing where it's like, they don't know that we know that he knows that they know. Like it's just, it's getting ridiculous. It really yes. is. Yes. I appreciate I appreciate Hannah acknowledging that and, and taking steps to uh to change to change the situation for the better. Exactly. Exactly. Um and there's almost this sense of like there there's a bit of um this whole thing feels a little bit meta to me. Like there's almost this sense of like a writer in the writer's room like getting frustrated and being like, we can't keep dancing around this. Let's just have Hannah do this thing. Like, <laughs> um, so back at Radley, Mona is playing solitaire and monologuing about her uncle who taught it to her. Who is she monologuing to? Caleb, who is sitting across from her, very stone-faced. He says that she's big on games. And says, maybe I believe this and maybe I don't. But don't mess with Hannah. Mona says that they make a lovely couple. And Caleb says that he knows that she's laughing at them. But he gets to walk out and she doesn't. Which I really think what he's saying here is that he gets to sleep with Hannah and she doesn't. Yet. Mona leans forward and says the absolute perfect thing for this moment. You are a lousy kisser. And before Caleb can really react to that, I think he's like, in that moment, remembering that they've kissed and, like, feeling like he needs to pour bleach all over his mouth. Mona screams this long, terrible animal scream in Caleb's face. She overturns the card table. She just keeps screaming and screaming and screaming as Caleb flees the room. And about 1,200 nurses rush in to grab her and sedate her. Um, And she just, like, she doesn't stop. Like, it's even when he leaves the room, she still keeps screaming. Janelle freaking Parrish, man. So good. So good in this scene. And also, like, this is similar to Lucas feeling like he'll be able to determine if Mona's faking better than any of these trained professionals can. Uh, Like, Caleb thinks that, like, the push 
that Mona needs to be on a righteous path is him coming in there and glaring at her across the table, telling her she better not mess with Hannah. I mean, come on. Come on. Like, you're not even original at this point. Uh, Also, man, Mona upsetting this table. This is like the temple of Vander Jesus. And sometimes you just have to flip the table uh, and that is what she does, and she does it with a plum. Oh my goodness! Well, and I love how this um, kind of like so much of this Mona stuff is going to be echoed in Spencer's whole whole Radley situation, and I love how Spencer will launch over that table towards Mona when she's going through her whole situation. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness! Ah, oh, so many great parallels. Um, the liars are now surrounding Jenna in an alley, her back to a fence. Jenna admits that she could see since the first operation, but that someone is after her and she had to continue pretending to be blind in the hopes that she could figure out who was after her. She claims that someone tried to burn down her house while she was inside of it, although that was Jason's house, no big. Uh, she says that she found Emily Uh, on the edge of town, in the middle of the night, middle of the road, drunk and crying about Maya. Jenna tried to take her home to the end of her street, also known as right next door to Jenna's own house. (laughs) Details. Um, But Emily freaked out and got out of the car at a light. This was about 12 or 12.30, so it does not answer all of the liars' questions about that night. Jenna implores them all not to tell anyone that she is able to see They owe it to her, after all. Uh, Through this whole conversation, the liars are accusatory and fairly terrible as per normal when dealing with Jenna. Uh, But this this scene in particular, uh, I also had the note that Jenna, uh, without her sunglasses on, like without her armor, uh, she does seem really defenseless. Uh, She seems she seems kind of harmless uh it's very easy to believe that she is just a girl trying to survive in this world like they are uh and she feels uh you know she feels less scary and i feel like the liars when confronted with that are helpless they don't know what to do they don't know how to interact with jenna who is not a monster of their nightmares yeah completely i i took the note that it's like she just seems normal not like a superhero witch like she just she just seems like this this girl and and one of the lines that i love is hannah says something like you are so twisted and jenna says i wonder how i got that way um which is is such a great line um and really like the liars just the liars get away with what they did for Je- to Jenna over and over and over again. And so anytime somebody calls them out on it, it's really sort of gratifying. Yeah. Agree. Back at the Hastings house, Spencer arrives home to see her mom going over papers related to Garrett. We learn that the police are trying to pin any open case on him. Veronica is not concerned. Everything is circumstantial and she can get it all thrown out. Spencer is very, very upset. Veronica insists that Garrett deserves a good defense. Spencer throws out the information that she's recently found out about Melissa, that Melissa was faking the pregnancy, uh, or her theory is that Melissa was faking the pregnancy at some point. Um, Did Veronica know? Is that why Spencer wasn't allowed to come visit? 
Veronica says that she didn't know before she got there, although she did have some suspicions. Uh, Spencer asks, when did Melissa lose her baby? Um, and uh, Veronica replies, you'll have to ask your sister. Spencer pushes, saying, no, I want you to tell me. And Veronica doesn't respond. So Spencer walks away. Um, it, it is interesting that they don't just have it be the spent that Melissa was always faking her pregnancy. That they sort of... Like, that would almost make more sense to me, but this weird, like, she was faking it until she wasn't faking it, or she she wasn't faking it until she had miscarried, and then she was faking it for for some reason that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It's like, it, it's a weird, it, it makes it even, like, to me, it almost makes it even more insensitive, because it's like, at the heart of all of this, there is still a miscarriage. So, it's weird. Yeah, and it, like this is forever referred to as Melissa faking a pregnancy, even though, as far as we know, there was an actual pregnancy. Melissa was pregnant, and this could more accurately be described as Melissa like lying about the date on which she miscarried. Right, but that doesn't sound as as you know soap opera and fun. Well, it's like Spencer Spencer turning out to be adopted when in fact she was raised by her biological father like the, the labeling on a lot of this is very questionable jenna being in her own house that was being blown up when in fact it was the <laughs> house that she happened to be in at the time <laughs> jenna owns any space that she yeah. that she is in <laughs> well apparently yeah. Noel Kahn having pushed that girl down the stairs <laughs> never letting it go oh my goodness uh, this scene between uh, Spencer and her mom it also has that great 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 line uh, for the Spencer Melissa relationship where Spencer says Melissa wouldn't tell her yeah. if her hair was on fire which just shout out to that as one of my favorite Hastings sister lines yeah you know this, this storyline is kind of not my fave but I do love Spencer getting to share all of these great scenes with her mom and her sister because they're two actors that uh, that she that really like give it give it back hard and they're such an interesting family dynamic and it's it's much more interesting than whenever she has to share scenes with Toby and like salivate over his abs or whatever. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Emily sits with Prezra at the coffee shop and tells him that she doesn't need everyone feeling sorry for her and acting like she's made of glass. Great point. Once again, no one in this episode is asking anyone what they need, particularly not here in the case of Emily. Um, but what Prezra has to offer her is a new test for her to complete. <laughs> and because she's Emily Fields, this seems to make her happy. How did he know that this would do the trick for Emily? Because he's watching everyone on the cameras, and he's a manipulative SOB. This is such a weird, like, band-aid over a bullet hole moment. Like, it's like, this test is nothing but symbolic, and Emily seems overjoyed to take it. And it's like, mm -hmm. how, how is this solving anything? At, at one point in my academic career... I got credit for a paper that I actually had not turned in. Mm. And my response to that was to not say anything because it was like, I mean, I just, I don't know. Um, but yeah, like 
if someone had been like, okay, so what you have to do to make this right with the world is to write the paper, I would have been like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. I don't understand Emily's logic here. Uh, but it, it works for her. So you do you, Emily Fields. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Mona is in Radley singing in the I Abides the Heart. Oh, my goodness. Um, she has such a beautiful voice, no surprise. And we see that she is holding a Queen of Hearts card as she lays in her bed, which is excellent foreshadowing for the time that she will feel a panna on a Halloween train. Oh, it really is. I mean... Yeah, the Queen of Hearts is always your best bet, and Hannah is the Queen of Mona's heart forever and ever. Amen. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, oh, speaking of A, the A tag, we see A's crafting table, uh, where they still have not put away their accoutrements for the uh, tooth necklace uh, of last week, uh, and they are pouring themselves a vodka soda uh, a, you know, strong indication of some Ren energy here. Uh, and then we see that they are storing their vodka in the same giant freezer as a body bag, which they begin to unzip just as the screen goes dark. Now, I know that it's frozen, but I still really do not hold with having a dead body in your freezer <laughs> along with any kind of like perishable uh consumable item i just i'm just not here for that a and also the unzipping of the body bag it's like ooh, what's your plan there a what's your plan mm -hmm. well i i feel like it's uh it's actually somewhat debatable we're led to assume that it's allison slash bethany in the body bag but uh, I, I feel like it could just as easily be one of these many cadavers uh, that A is just constantly dismembering for hijinks at this point in the show. Very true. I have some bad news for you. I just looked up the next episode and learned that one cousin Nate is going to be making his grand entrance. I knew that that, I knew that, that was coming because I, like... We talked about this, I think, not on the podcast, just between ourselves. Like, if someone had asked me how many episodes of season three is Cousin Nate in, I would have been, like, 100. <laughs> he is in 100 episodes out of 25. That is how many episodes <laughs> he is in. Um, but that was not... I was surprised and, and pleased to learn that that was not actually so. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be... I, I knew that he came in in the fourth episode because I did look it up. Otherwise, it was like, I was just, it was like Chekhov's cousin Nate. I was constantly just waiting for that shoot a drop of him <laughs> to arrive uh, in town. But next week, uh, he arrives. And the, the great thing I have to say about that is once he arrives, we are ever that much closer to his departure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Not to jump the gun. I just looked that up and saw that and had to had to reveal it. Um, one just note that I wanted to have on this episode, wouldn't the whole Garrett might be the father of Melissa's baby thing make a lot more sense as a, like, urgent plot point if Melissa was still pregnant? Yeah, or if they actually, if there was a baby. I'm kind of surprised. 
I mean, I'm I'm kind of surprised that PLL didn't go the soap opera route of having a baby who has questionable paternity, who's constantly being kidnapped, a la Days of Our Lives, or like switched. But then they kind of uh, they they were saving that for the big finale. Little did we know. Yeah, I mean, it would. Yeah, if if there actually was a baby. Or if there, if it was like Melissa was pregnant and there was this sense of urgency of Garrett trying to get out of prison in order to be with her and be with the baby, like... Or, or like, his mom might be threatening to sue for custody, like, sure. it, I mean, it seems like either having had Melissa fake the entire pregnancy or having the pregnancy come to term and then have questions about who the father was... Both seem like they would make a lot more sense as opposed to this whole situation uh, where it's just a mess of like, well, she was pregnant, but then she miscarried. But then, like, I I was almost wondering, are are we, uh, like, was there a world in which the revelation was going to be that Melissa had had an abortion, but then they, like, weren't allowed to do that for some reason? You know... I mean, they are very weird about not saying what happened for the first couple of episodes. Um, it's almost like they're like they're ask, acting like a mis like they're they're treating a miscarriage with the way the way that abortion is usually treated on television, where they're like right. not saying the word. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I it's so it's so bizarrely handled. It's also so weird to me that like it feels like there's other parts points in the last two seasons when Melissa could have had a miscarriage like she's been in car accidents like all these things have happened and it's sort of weird that it happened in the like the nebulous off-camera time jump it just I I don't I don't understand like I don't really understand why Melissa couldn't have had a baby like it's not like she's involved enough in the mystery or in other character like if anything, I think it actually would have added more to her to her character and more to her complex relationship with Spencer if she did have a baby and there was like this, you know, Spencer had like a niece or nephew and that kind of added some potential stakes to their relationship. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if they just didn't want to deal with having a baby on set. I mean, it's just it's weird. It is weird. I think maybe they, they felt like they couldn't have it just be a fake the whole way because she was in the regular hospital in Rosewood when after the car accident when they were like, no, no, the baby's okay. But I mean, I, I feel like so they bribed the doctor. The doctor was red. Like, you know, I mean, th- there, there could have been a lot of ways around that. But uh, I, I will ask you this. Uh, in like knowing how the rest of the story is going to go. Melissa's fake pregnancy and everything around it, extremely weird. Uh, Is it weirder and is it more or less plausible than Allison's pregnancy in the final seasons where she is impregnated with Emily's embryos (laughs) uh, by Alex Drake for like actually no reason with dead wrens uh, d- dead Wren's genetic material uh, and and then carries the babies to term because Emily wants her to. I think that that one is weirder and more expensive <laughs> by a margin. It's, it's, it's a slim margin, but like, I mean, it's 
that one is really problematic. I mean, like, this one is super problematic, too. But, like, that one is, like... I mean, that's next like, level, next level, next level problematic on like multiple on multiple levels. And um, and just like it's such a kick in the face to Emerson. It's it's such a like it's any storyline where like one character begs another character to have a baby that they don't want is like tons of red flags. It's like basically a baby conceived in rape that's like everybody's ultimately happy about it's a dead man's sperm like it's just it's really weird it's so weird he's an eternity stone i really i really think that it's extremely possible that the writers of the last part of season six and all of season seven that this was one of like the five previous episodes that they rewatched before starting to write because we have emily and the test taking that recurs in the later seasons. We have Jenna's visit to the gun store, uh, which then Jenna is wandering around with a gun uh, in, in that time period. Uh, And we also have uh, the, the fake pregnancy uh, weirdness of, of Melissa, which then later we get the uh, actual pregnancy weirdness of Allison's. Well, and also the whole Caleb um, Hannah Mona dynamic is really oh, yeah. similar to the same dynamic in season seven. And also, like Lucas, maybe friend, maybe foe, is also a similar dynamic to season seven. And we get a callback. Uh, we get a callback to the episode title in the I Abi- the I Abide yes. uh, to Mona singing in this episode. So yeah, I'm I'm calling it that this was one of the few episodes that they rewatched uh, before writing the last season and a half of the show. And Emily has no uh, romantic anything in this episode, which is very similar to the last couple of seasons. <laughs> oh, it sure is. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I, what would you say? Which one do you think is weirder, Melissa or Allie? Oh, I mean, like, Allie's is worse on so many levels, and I feel like Allie's, Allie's is more implausible. Like, the show was still somewhat rooted in reality at this point. So, like you were saying, like, you can kind of, like, if you squint, you can see how Melissa might have made these life choices, etc. But, like, but by the time we get to Allison and that pregnancy, it's just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> whoa. Yeah, I, there's just, yeah. What What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's not I- even... It's not even like somebody drove the car off the road. It's like somebody drove the car off the road and it tumbled down a cliff and it caught on fire and then was submerged in the ocean. <laughs> and also poor- where it was attacked by sharks. Oh my god. And also poor Paige gets tangled up in that too. Like she's oh, like yeah. a she's yeah. like a weird an innocent bystander that gets her heart like pulverized by all of that too. So yeah, it's just it that's oh man, season 7. Whew. Um, but <laughs> makes cousin Nate next week look like a walk in the park. Oh my god, yep. Uh, next week <laughs> we are going to Birds of a Feather with cousin Nate. Um, and I guess, I, I mean, I guess that the thing about the pregnancy that, and this is sort of the, the penny is going to drop on this in the next episode, is if Melissa wasn't pregnant, 
she could have been the black swan um which is such a sort of funny thing that it's like the body weight of the black swan is ultimately like this huge clue plot point and like that is the ultimate reason why this whole fake pregnancy storyline exists not even the fact that the black swan looked exactly like Melissa Hastings in a black swan costume but she was pregnant it couldn't have been it couldn't have been her yeah I know um anyway next week birds of a feather or not next week actually because next week is we're taking a break for Thanksgiving but week after next birds of a feather um, if you have thoughts on this episode, we would love to hear from you at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating review on iTunes. Before we close out, one thing that I wanted to say, because we're going into Thanksgiving week, just off the top of your head, PLL things that you are thankful for. And I have not prepped, I have not prepped for this and I have not prepped you for this. So I'm completely just throwing this out of nowhere. Ooh, um, well, okay, I would say uh, Hannah's uh, Hannah's bang bang dance is a thing uh, that, like, almost no matter what else is going on, if I watch that scene, I feel happy. <laughs> oh, I love that. That is really good. That is really good. Uh, what about you? Um, oh... Oh, man, there are so many things that I could say. I mean, shadow play feels like such such a gift. Um, that's that's it's so it's so great. Um, Allison and, and Spencer's dance in Radley, I think, is another great one. Um, and yeah, and and Paige McCullers. I'll give it up for Paige. Yeah. I, the representation, uh, the representation that the show did like now. It feels like every show that comes out on the CW has at least one queer character, sometimes more. Uh, and that's so different. That's so different from the world before PLL. And I do think that this show being as popular as it was uh, and having the represent- representation that it had uh, in the beginning was really good. I am grateful that... In this, in this world that Emily got to have what she wanted, at least for a time, she got to have Allison. Uh, she got to see how that relationship would play out. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'm grateful for the gift of Vander Jesus on all of our screens every time uh, Mona was in there. And also, I mean, I, I guess in a, in a bigger picture way, like, I'm super grateful for the fact that we get to do this podcast together and that we became friends through watching PLL um, because that's, you know, meaningful beyond the world of the show. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yes. I'm really, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful for our friendship. I'm thankful for the people who listen to this podcast Um, and just the fandom world. I mean, so much just creativity and beautiful writing and you know, just like support and and excitement and all of that is is such a wonderful thing. So I'm I'm thankful for that. Um, yeah, if you wanna if you wanna write in, you know, over this week, even if you're not in a country that celebrates Thanksgiving and and talk about PLL things that you're thankful for, we'd love to we'd love to hear that because it's it's kind of we often lovingly bag on the show, but it's it's nice to it's nice to think about like the good stuff too. It is. It definitely is. 
Um, all right. Any more? Anything else you wanna you wanna say? No, that is that is all I got. Um, I hope that everybody has a safe and happy holiday, and we'll be back the first week in December. All right. Take care.